and it is great to see you um, this afternoon. My name's John T. If I haven't met you um, personally, it's great to see you. Um, you'll notice this afternoon that there's plenty of space. Um, now, in one sense, we could be a little bit alarmed and say, oh, no, there's so much space, we feel a little bit small. But actually, one of the reasons for moving to a bigger space is so that, by God's grace, we have space to keep growing. Um, and we have space to um, be able to serve more people and welcome more people and help more people come to know Jesus. Um, so let's see these empty chairs as opportunities and, and chairs to pray that God would fill this year. Um, that we might be a church family where we're helping one another increasingly to lift our eyes to see Jesus. Well, we're going to turn to the book of Jonah. It's on page 929 of the Church Bible, so why not turn to Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, page 929. And we're going to pick up the story of Jonah. Um, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Uh, He went the opposite way, ended up in a big fish, got spat out, and we pick up the story there. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. But before I read it, I want to ask you to do something while I read, which is, I know, a little tricky. Um, I want you to be aware of your emotions as you read. Now, for some of you, that won't be difficult. For some of you, you may have to dig down deep to find those. Uh, But I want us to be aware. Let's think about what is going, how do you react to what's happening? Um, What is, how does it make you feel what happens in this story? Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I wonder how you find yourself reacting to that story, to that account of God's dealing with the city of Nineveh. You see, if, if it didn't provoke within you a profound sense of uncomfortable annoyance, then we may not quite 
have understood really what's going on. You see, we may read this story and say, what a great story. Here's this city. It was wicked. Jonah preaches. They all turn to God. Seriously, if someone came to church this afternoon and said, I've got a story to tell you. I went to this wicked city. I preached the gospel. They all became Christians. We'd all go, that's wonderful. Hooray. This is beautiful. What a beautiful story. I feel so excited. I feel so enthusiastic. I feel so pumped up. I feel so inspired. This is wonderful. And it would be tempting to read this story and react in that sort of way. And there's a sense in which it is wonderful. But that's not how it would first have been heard. Not by Israel. Not when they first heard this story. Okay, let me tell you another story to see if I can um, help you to feel what's going on. So let me, let me tell you a made-up story to give you a sense of what this book is doing in the Bible. Imagine a king. And the king has a son. A son who he really, really loves. And he lavishes love on this son. And the son and the king have such a great relationship. They have so much fun. As the son's a kid, they have a great time. But as the son gets older, he increasingly turns his back on his dad. He becomes petulant. He becomes arrogant. He presumes that his dad will give him all the stuff he needs. And his dad loves the son. And so the dad pleads with the son and warns the son and asks the son and reminds the son of all that he's done. But the son is still hard-hearted. What's the king supposed to do? Okay, imagine this. Imagine the king made a plan to do this. He goes to the jail, to the prison, where the worst prisoners are kept, and he finds a vicious murderer. And he says to this vicious murderer, I want you to come with me. I'm going to adopt you as my son. I'm going to lavish everything that is mine on you. And so he brings this vicious murderer into the home. That's a beautiful story, this bit. But what about the son? What's his reaction? His reaction, how dare you? How dare you give what is rightfully mine to him? And what it's supposed to do is provoke within this son. It's supposed to wake him up. Do you not see? You've forgotten all the blessings that are yours. I will shower those blessings over here so that you will be provoked to remember. So that you will be woken up from your arrogance and your complacency so that you will see what it means that I'm your father. I think that's what the book of Jonah is doing in the Bible. This is the story of the Bible. There's God, his king, and he sits on the throne and he chooses one nation to be his precious son, Israel. And he lavishes his love and his affection on Israel. He loves them. He gives them a land. He gives them a home. He gives them safety. He gives them wisdom. He gives them everything. And his purpose was always that as God has his chosen people, that they would then bless the nations, that all the world would be blessed through Israel. That was the, that was the plan. But at this point in history, Israel is malfunctioning. 
They are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They've become petulant and arrogant and complacent. And they assume that God will give them good gifts, but they've turned away from him. They worship other gods. And so what God does is he sends the prophet Jonah, but not to Israel. He sends the prophet to Nineveh, to a wicked city, says, you know what, I'm going to pour my blessing on the nations. And he does it to wake up Israel. Wake up. You see, one of the big problems that we have, and if if we call ourselves Christians here, if we're people who say, yeah, God, I'm a child of God, one of the big problems is complacency, that we take God for granted, That we presume that God will love us. Of course God will love me. I'm his darling child. Of course he loves me. Why wouldn't he love me? And we forget what it means. We forget that our purpose is to be a blessing to the nations. We forget who we are. We forget all that he's done for us. And the book of Jonah, and I pray by God's grace that Jonah chapter 3 might wake us up to say, remember who you are. Remember the blessings that are yours. So in this chapter, and it is a wonderful chapter because if you're in Nineveh, this is magnificent. But if you're in Israel, this is painful. And in this chapter, it's like God gets a great big stick and he pokes his people to wake them up. And he pokes them with four big prods. We're going to see these as we go through. I just want to show you four things that would have been deeply disturbing to Israel. Here's the first one, and I'll come up on the screen. The first one is a second time. Have a look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound particularly disturbing or upsetting or provocative. Why, why is that so provocative? Well, I'll tell you why. Because first time round, Jonah was completely useless. First time round, Jonah completely failed. He was a disaster. When God said go that way, he went that way. Jonah has this kind of blemish on his record that says failure. His past employment record is very poor. Jonah was petulant and he was rude and he was arrogant and he ran away from God. You know, if I'd been God, I'd have said, you know what, Jonah? Thanks for trying. Let's find someone else. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God's got a legion of angels, right? Messengers. Angels and messengers. He could have sent one of them to Nineveh. You know what, Gabriel? Jonah's useless. Gabriel, you go. I know it's a little bit early. He's supposed to turn up and talk to Mary. But let's go to Nineveh first. Why wouldn't God do that? Well, it's because God only has one plan. God only has one plan. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't go, oh, that didn't work. Let's try something else. His one plan is that Nineveh will be blessed and it will happen through Israel. It's got to happen through Jonah. God is absolutely committed to his plan. And although Jonah is a failure and has run off and done wrong things, 
God says, no, we're going again because this is the plan. And through this message to Jonah, God is saying to his rebellious people, Israel, Israel, wake up. You are still the plan. You are still the way I'm going to bless the nations. You've got to wake up. There is something very beautiful about a second chance, isn't there? There's something very wonderful about God taking this prophet who's really screwed up and being told, go again, Jonah. Some of us here really know what it feels like to screw up, right? Some of us here really feel like we may have stuffed up so badly that we're no use ever again. Well, here's the God who says a second time, a second time. There is something beautiful here, but there is also something profoundly challenging that says there is no second plan. There is no other way. God, Israel, the nations, it's got to be that way. God, Jonah, Nineveh, Jonah, it's got to be you. There is no one else who's going. And you may say to me, well, what happened to Israel? Well, what happened to Israel is that Israel continued in its rebellion, but through Israel came Jesus, the true Israelite, the true Israel of God. Jesus, the true Son of God, through whom God would bless the nations. It had to be Israel because Jesus is from Israel. Jesus is Israel. So God blesses the nations through Israel, just like he always said. And that's why Jonah has to go to Nineveh, because it cannot be anyone else. Gabriel can't go, because Gabriel's not from Israel. And blessing must come through Israel. And so God is saying to his people, like it or not, rebellious or not, you are still the plan. And it is through you. And as you trace that story through of who now are the people of God, the children of God, the true Israel of God, it's us. It's the church. God. The church bought by Jesus to be blessing to the nations. There is no other plan. How is God going to reach the nations? There's no other plan. It's us. And when we screw up, we have to say sorry to him and say, let's go again. He says, okay, let's go a second time. Some of us a third time, a fourth time, a hundredth time, a thousandth time. But God keeps coming to us and saying, you're still the plan. I haven't given up on you. So God comes a second time. And this time, Jonah obeys. The plan hasn't changed at all. Jonah obeys and he goes to Nineveh. Here's the second thing that would have been deeply disturbing to Israel. Israel, you're still the plan. The word came a second time. Here's the second thing. 40 more days. Oh, do you not feel how offensive that is to Israel? Here's Jonah. Okay, so Jonah obeys the word of the Lord and he goes to Nineveh. We're told that Nineveh, this is verse 3, was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And so Jonah, here he is, heading in. Are you got, it's easy to imagine Jonah, kind of, you know, I don't know what picture you have in your mind. This is terrifying. 
for Jonah to walk into the heart of this great city, Nineveh, which has been so wicked. This is like walking into um, an Islamic state-held city and proclaiming God's judgment. Jonah must have been terrified. But Jonah walks in, he's in obedience to God, and here's his sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words. I don't think it's a model sermon. Some of you may think it is. Some of you may say, that sounds excellent. Um, I don't think this is all that Jonah said. That would be weird if he just went around saying this over and over again. No doubt he said much more. But what we're given here is the guts, the heart of what Jonah said to Nineveh, the message that God gave to Nineveh. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What do you think of that as a sermon? I guess many of us would say, well, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? To walk into a city and say, you're going to be destroyed. God is going to destroy you. You are wicked and judgment is going to come. It's pretty offensive, isn't it? Most of us would say, well, I don't feel very comfortable with that as a message. I like the idea of a God who's loving and kind and lavishes nice gifts. I don't like the idea of a God who would overthrow a city. Surely that feels all a bit harsh. You're not hearing it like an Israelite if that's your reaction. Do you know the bit they'd have been offended by? 40 more days. You see, the reason that you don't feel it like an Israelite is because you've never experienced Nineveh. You don't know what it feels like to hear their clattering chariots and their stampeding cavalry and their vicious army heaping up bodies, piles of dead. That's how they're described in the book of Nahum. They're vicious. You don't don't know what it's like for your family to be ripped out of their beds in the middle of the night by Ninevite soldiers in order that they might be killed. And the Ninevite women taken and raped. You don't know what that feels like. But Israel do. Israel know exactly what Nineveh is like. So when they hear that Nineveh are going to be overthrown, they say, quite right. But God says, 40 more days. That's the bit that's offensive to them. Because actually, Jonah's sermon is dripping with the grace of God. We don't see it because we're so quick to say, what a nasty God to overthrow a city. What a magnificent God to say to such a wicked people, you've got 40 more days. Do you not see the patience of God? Do you not see the kindness of God? That he would speak to them and warn them. And you can imagine Israel going, no, no. Why would you give them 40 more days? Why didn't you just send an airstrike right now and wipe them out? Why didn't you just destroy them? That's what they deserve. And God says, no, 40 more days. And right there in the midst of that short little sermon is God's gracious, kind, undeserved invitation to a deeply wicked people. To tell our world 
that judgment is coming is not unloving and harsh. To tell our world that God is patient and he's waiting, but judgment is coming, is loving. You see, some of us are, I want judgment now on the people that I hate. Some of us are, I don't want judgment ever. But what you get in God is this beautiful mix of perfect justice matched with perfect patience. And right there is the grace of God. Why has God not destroyed the world yet? Because he's patient, not wanting any of you to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why doesn't God send an airstrike right now and destroy this wicked world? Because he's patient. And he says, more days, more days, more days. Because there's more I want to save. But don't take God's patience as meaning that there's no judgment coming. Jonah says 40 days and the city will be overthrown. And Israel have forgotten the privilege of serving such a gracious, patient, and yet just king. They've forgotten the privilege of who they are. So God goes to this nation, this wicked nation, and says, I'm going to treat you with grace that you don't deserve. The third thing is that they believed God. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. What a staggering statement. All they've got, bear this in mind, right? All they've got is a little shuffling little prophet. I don't know if he's shuffling or little, but he's, I mean, he's come out of fish, right? He's not going to be in the best of state, right? Three days in a fish, he's going to be a little bit ropey. So he's coming into the city and he's declaring 40 more days and this city will be overthrown. Not my response would have been, do you know what you'd expect the response to be? To this one little man who spent three days in a fish, I'd expect Nineveh to go, you are having a laugh. Do you not know who we are? Have you not seen our clattering chariots and our stampeding cavalry? Have you not seen those? You're telling me that all of this is going to be overthrown in 40 days. I don't think so. That would be the natural response. But instead, and this is so significant, they believed not Jonah, but God. They heard through the mouth of Jonah the word of God. And as they heard it, they responded with faith. They said, that's true. God's word has this amazing power to cut to the heart. To show us where we're wrong. And in their response, as Nineveh is cut to the heart and believes what God says, here's Israel, and they've deafened their ears and they've forgotten God's word. They're not listening to the warnings. They don't care about the prophets. They don't want to hear. But here's a nation. Right? God has sent prophet after prophet to Israel. He's spoken to them again and again and again. I love you. You're my child. I love you. Nineveh gets one message. I'm going to destroy you. And that, that one message wakes them 
up from their blindness and brings them to God. And they believe God and they take this incredible action where they humble themselves. I don't know the last time we responded to God's word like that. I read this this week and it humbles me. When was the last time you believed God in such a profound and strong sense that you took this sort of action? Where they proclaim a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. They humble themselves. They're desperate. They're serious. They recognize that they're in trouble. And it's all of them right up to the king. The king sitting on his throne, hears what's happened, gets off his throne, humbles himself, joins in the fast, makes this proclamation, and listen to it. I mean, even the animals are involved. Even the animals are fasting. Because Nineveh haven't got a clue who this God is. They don't know what he wants. They don't know how to please him. But they just know that they're in trouble. And they start to call urgently on God. In verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Here is a nation that knows so little of God that they're not even sure that turning to him and calling on him is going to do any good. Israel, you know exactly who God is. You know his compassion. You've experienced it time after time after time, and yet you've grown hard. You don't care. You don't repent like this. You don't listen to my word. You don't tear your clothes and put on sackcloth. You don't fast. You faff around with other gods, Israel. Look at Nineveh. They're on their knees begging to a God that they don't even know will show compassion to them. Do you see how this provokes Israel to wake up? Israel, wake up. And maybe this is a word to some of us this afternoon. We've stopped listening to God's word. When we hear God's word, when we read his word, we don't believe him. We question it. We doubt it. We shout at it. We rebel against it. We refuse it. We twist it. We change it. We just want to avoid it. Nineveh didn't do that. They believed God. And they were urgent. They called on him urgently. There was a desperation. And then the fourth thing, and this is probably the hardest of all for Israel to stomach, is that God relents. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. Nineveh escapes. Nineveh experiences God's compassion. How can that be? Now, of course, the theologically, um, you know, people who know like to read big books about God will say, "Ah, hang on, wait, wait." I thought God was immutable. That is, God doesn't change. I thought God didn't change His mind. But aha, uh, ha! You see here. He relents. He changes his mind. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy you. Okay, fine, I won't. Isn't that God changing his mind? That would be a very um, bad way 
to read this. Because what was God's purpose in sending Jonah in the first place? God's purpose was always to save them. That's why he sent them. In fact, if you keep a finger in Jonah and just go back to Jeremiah 18... This is page 778. Page 778, verse 7. Jeremiah 18, verse 7. God says this. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed... And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. It's always what God said. This is what God's like. This is God's plan. This isn't God changing his mind. This is God doing what he said. You've heard this illustration probably from me before, if you've been around for any more than a week. And... Um, if you're in the middle of Borough High Street and a bus is about to hit you and I shout, you're about to be hit by a bus and you move out the way and then go, no, I wasn't. I'm like, yes, you were. You're like, yeah, you were wrong. I wasn't. I'm like, no, the whole point of me saying you're about to be hit by a bus is so that you do something. The whole point of God saying you're going to be destroyed is so that they would do something. How does God save them, people, by telling them they're going to be destroyed? But giving them 40 days. And so here is the beautiful compassion of God. And you notice that God, the moment he sees it. Now again, we don't feel the, the sheer extraordinary nature of this. Because of all the wicked they've done. All of the bodies that they've piled up. All of the nations they've crushed. All of the money that they've taken. All the ways that they've ignored God. All of the ways they've done evil. They aren't evil evil city and in this one moment God shows them compassion why? because they're so good no they're not good they're evil because they believed him faith because they believed God and they turned around it's what we call faith and repentance. And when God sees this, he relents. Of course, there's a, there's a serious question here. A question says, how can God do that? What about all the people they murdered, the women they raped, the children they ripped out? What, what about them? Where's the justice? How can this be fair? How can God relent? God can do this because he knows what's coming. Because he knows that there's a day coming when he will punish that sin. Because he is going to send his precious son, the one who he's lavished love and affection on from all eternity, and he's going to send his son to die on a cross. And that son will die to take the punishment that Nineveh deserves. And to be perfectly honest with you, God's grace and compassion is offensive to humanity. 
because it says it doesn't matter how wicked you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been or how far you've run. You turn to him and he welcomes you home. And all of your sin, all of your wickedness, everything you've done is forgiven. That's the compassion of God. And for Israel, it's unbearable that God would do this to such a wicked nation. But God did it because he loved Nineveh and because he wanted to wake up Israel. This book was written down not for Nineveh, but for Israel. It was written down so that they would read it and they would understand who their God is and they would turn back to him and love him. And that they would do what Nineveh modeled to them. So this afternoon, you'll be in one of two places. You'll either be closer to the Ninevites or to the Israelites. Some of us here will be probably not quite as wicked as the Ninevites, but some of us here will feel our wickedness, we'll feel like we don't deserve it, we'll feel ashamed of our sin, and we'll feel like God would never, ever, ever be bothered with us. We feel like we deserve God's judgment. And you know, right, if that's you, you do. You do deserve God's judgment. But God says, not yet. Because I'm patient and I'm giving you time and I sent my son so that you could be forgiven. And you don't have to turn to God and say, well, who knows, perhaps God may relent. He says, I will, I love you, I love you, turn around, I sent my son for you, come on, turn to me. And maybe some of us here for the very first time need to turn to Jesus like the Ninevites did. Believe God, believe that judgment is coming, but that he's patient and he loves you and he wants you. Believe God. But perhaps many of us will relate more to the Israelites as we read this story. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten all that God has done for us. We've forgotten the grace that he showed us. We've forgotten how much he forgave us. We've forgotten that we deserve judgment. We've forgotten how undeserving we are. We presume on God. We're arrogant and we are complacent when it comes to him. And the story of Nineveh should wake us up. Remember. Remember what you deserve. Remember what God did for you. Remember how he loved you. Remember what it is, what a privilege it is to call this God our King and our Father. And as we head into this new term, please God, may we be a church that do not take this for granted, that do not sleepwalk through life, but who wake up. And who see that God's plan to reach the nations is through us. And we'll only be useful to him when we remember who we are. And we turn back to him. So perhaps for some of us this afternoon, this is a day of turning. Some of us, it's a very significant day that God's brought you to church. Because he wants you to stop running and turn back to him. He wants you to do what the Ninevites did. Perhaps you're already his child, but you're running away from him. You're rebelling. You've forgotten. And he says, come on, turn back to me now. He wants you back. 
And Ninevites show you how much he wants you. So let's pray. Let's take a moment to think over what we've looked at in this passage. The word came a second time. God said 40 more days. They believe God and God relents. He is magnificent God. He is a magnificent king. Let's take a moment to um, pray and then we're going to sing a couple of songs to help us to respond uh, and to worship this God. And let's perhaps even ask right now that God would wake us up from our complacency. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would please help us. Lord, we confess that we can so easily become hard-hearted. We can forget. We don't listen to your word like we once did. We don't love you like we once did. Father, we're sorry. We're sorry for the ways that we take you for granted. And we pray that this story of the Ninevites would wake us up. Wake us up to see what beautiful compassion there is. And that when we hear your word, we'd believe it. And we'd urgently act upon it. Lord, please be at work in us, we pray. For the glory of Jesus.